And we have another um, in a long line of testimony videos for our forward and uh, not forward in faith. What's it called? Fulfilling the vision. Man, all of a sudden I blanked out and picked an old name and brought it forward. I don't even know if you guys have ever done that here. Fulfilling the vision. That's what this is for. So go ahead and roll that video. Hi, we're Aaron and Amy Slagle, and we've been at North Ave for um, as long as we've been married, and for me, a couple years before that, so about, um, about 14, 14 years. years yeah. yeah. We just want to talk a little bit about tithing today. So for me, tithing is something that I learned about when I was a kid. My um, parents got saved when I was two, and they almost immediately started tithing to the church they were attending at the time. Um, so I remember Sunday mornings um, going to breakfast at the kitchen table and my dad would be there with the checkbook figuring out how much the tithe should be for that week and putting it in the envelope and getting it ready. Um, and I didn't fully understand at that time what it was all about. Um, but as I got older and got my own job and I just started um, really, I was praying and doing my devotions and um, God really spoke to me about the necessity um, if you're a Christian to support your local church and the ministries that are going on there. Um, so I started giving and I, I call it giving because I wasn't doing a full 10%. I was just giving what I had available left over from what I was spending on other things. Um, so I didn't really start making their priority um, until probably about 20 years ago. And that's when I started giving a full 10%. And I didn't really have the money at the time, but the church I was attending um, had everybody fill out a form once a year and write down how much they were going to give that year. And so I just, I kept looking at the form and there was like a, you know, percentage options. And I thought, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put 10%, you know. And then when it came to give it, I thought, oh, I'm going to give it and see, you know, see where I end up at the end of the month. And since that time, I've realized that it's important and I feel better when I do it. But also that God always fills in the gaps where um, the ends don't always come together in the way that you want them to. So we've had many an emergency <laughs> come up yes. and um, different things that have happened, car repairs and home repairs that we've needed to do um, urgently. And the funds have always been there when we've needed them. Um, they don't always come in the way that we think they're going to, but they're always there. Yeah, I, we do the Dave Ramsey. Um, Thing. You know, that's uh, there's a, a tithing aspect to that, of course, and uh, I just think you know if you if you just uh, make it a priority and you pay that first, then you don't even miss it, and eventually you just you know whatever you have, you are able to do what you need to do with what you do have. My family never tithed; we, they didn't go to church um, for a lot of years, and then my mom finally did, and. Uh, but yeah, um, so I wasn't raised like Amy was with tithing as in the forefront, but uh, I really appreciated it. I really appreciate her and her family and what they've taught by me, by me seeing what they do. And uh, I think it's great. I think it's what, you, what everyone should do. Um, 
and your life is you have so many blessings that I don't think we would have had otherwise you know God like you say God always provides in ways that you, you don't see a way and he finds a way and it's just unbelievable sometimes Gilbert asked us to do this testimony leading up to the Fulfilling the Vision campaign. And um, for us, we've been praying about the campaign for a while um, and the importance of getting this debt paid off so that we can focus um, the church's efforts on ministry that needs to happen in our community. Part of the Dave Ramsey thing is um, not having any debt. Um, and so we feel it's important for the church too. It just opens up opportunities for giving in ways that um, you wouldn't normally do. And so um, we're planning to make a generous, as generous as we can gift to um, the giving campaign and we hope that you do too. there, Aaron? You good? Yeah, all right. Um, I appreciate those that have done this. Some of you that have never done that have no idea how difficult that is to just sit in a room with a camera in front of you and talk to it. It's not as easy as you might think, so we appreciate those that have done those testimonies, and uh, I think we have a few more. In case you haven't been counting, the um, Fulfilling the Vision campaign is one month out. I mean, the day that we're planning to do all of this is October 2nd, which is literally one month away, so I hope you're getting ready. I know Pat's excited. He's getting all stoked up. Yep, cashing in all of his stuff, you know, selling his cars. Um, talked about selling his grandkids, but I think Wendy put a, put a nix on that. So anyway, but we're looking forward to, um, again, being free of that so that we can do some ministry. So we hope that that is what happens. Um, I want to talk today about <clears throat> another one of the ministries that Bonhoeffer uh, brings up. We've been talking about what real Christian community looks like, and we've done a lot of the groundwork. We've talked about how it's really something that we just join into. We don't create it. It is something that Jesus created. It flows from him. And um, as we go through this, Bonhoeffer suggested that there are several ministries that we do for each other and to each other that help us as we try to become a part of real Christian community and help that community to grow. And so today we're going to talk about the ministry of bearing. Have you ever said the words to someone, bear with me, bear with me? You know, I think a lot of you maybe, since it's football season, have said to people who rip on you about your lions, you know, about cheering for the lions, you're just like, bear with us, okay, it's coming, bear with us. I know Ryan for a lot of years was saying, bear with Harbaugh, Michigan's coming back someday, right? Bear with us, it's coming. That, that whole phrase, bear with me, kind of leads to the conclusion that if you can just sustain and if you can just hang in there, something good is coming later. Does that make sense? Um, and, and it has the connotation of us helping and building into that so that when it gets here, it'll finally be there. For instance, there are some sermons. When I'm up here and all of you kind of fall asleep and I'm thinking to myself, all right, I must have gone off on a rabbit trail and, and I'm tempted to say, bear with me. It's coming, okay? I may have gotten off 
task, but we're coming back. There's something good coming. Bear with me. Um, but th- that phrase is one that I know I have said to my kids. Probably you've said it to yours. You've said it to coworkers. And it's an invitation, basically, for someone to join in with us, support us, and, and together find that good thing that is coming that we have some expectation for. The the basis in scripture for this idea of bearing comes from Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. This is Paul's letter to the church at Galatia, where he simply says this, bear one another's burdens. And I I actually put the wrong translation up there, and I forgot to fix it between church. So that's not Steve's fault, it's mine. Uh, In the New American Standard, it actually uses the word, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Now, I've heard that scripture all my life, and I always thought that it meant that if somebody that goes to church with me or somebody who's a brother or sister in Christ has a problem, that means that I have to carry that problem with them. That means I'm supposed to go out of my way to try to help. You know, last week we talked about, you know, the ministry of helpfulness and how part of relationship means that if somebody asks us for help, we should probably try to give assistance if necessary. But Bonhoeffer takes it a lot further than that. In fact, in his mind, he believes that this idea of bearing, which kind of he classifies as carrying or tolerating or sustaining, um, has to do with the idea of every relationship that we have being essentially a burden. Now, before you just bail out on me completely, burden is not a bad concept. We have a tendency to think that, you know, we've got to lay our burdens down. We've got to get rid of our burdens. We should never be burdened. But the fact of the matter is, Jesus makes some assumptions that as followers of his, that we will be carrying a burden. Jesus said himself, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. He assumes that we're going to be carrying a burden if we follow him. In fact, I believe that as human beings, we were built for this. We were built for toil. We were built for labor on this Labor Day weekend. Have you ever noticed that labor and bearing kind of have a related kind of uh, meaning? In fact, when you put it in the framework of childbirth, you know, we talk about a woman who's, you know, going to have a child as being, you know, as bearing a child. And then that process, we, we say that it's called what? Labor, right? So it's kind of one and the same, but it's that whole idea of doing something constructive and doing something maybe that's even difficult so that we can accomplish something that is good. And so the idea of, of doing something, of carrying a burden, isn't a bad thing. In fact, we were created, I believe, to do something, not to do nothing. And and in this world that we live in today, we've kind of fallen in love with doing nothing. I mean, our screen time is off the charts, and most of us really just look for the end of the day when we can spend time sitting in front of the TV or looking at our phones, and the world has fallen in love with doing nothing, but the greatest fulfillment we will find is when we're doing the thing that God designed us for, and part of that means carrying a burden. And so in Bonhoeffer's language, each relationship that you choose to have with another person essentially means that that person is a burden that you have accepted and that you're trying to carry. And he means simply that you have decided to take responsibility for that relationship. And understand that relationships require some effort, they require some commitment, they require some work. If I'm going to be in a relationship with my wife, but I don't put any time and effort into it, I think you all know where that's going to go. If I want a good relationship with my children, um, whether they're young or even as they grow older, but I never put anything into those relationships, they're going to die on the vine and they're going to wither. If I want good relationships with the people in my church... 
but I never attend a small group, and the only time I ever see them is when we're greeting from across the sanctuary, then those relationships are going to die on the vine. They're not going to work out. And so each person that we choose to accept as a relationship is essentially a burden, according to Bonhoeffer, that we have chosen to carry. And that's an interesting concept, and it flows out of what Jesus did for us. Because according to Bonhoeffer, those who live outside the kingdom of God, those who have chosen not to follow God, really don't have the same burden we do. Because as as people who don't follow Jesus, they can take or leave the responsibilities that they have to love and care for each other and simply sidestep those responsibilities of, of burden that they have in relationships. And so what he says is that pagan people don't feel this need. Now, I disagree with that. I know a lot of people who don't follow Jesus, but that who have found a way and, and have chosen to accept relationship with other people and who do bear each other's burdens in that sense. But the fact of the matter is, as believers in Christ, because of what Christ did for us, we have a, more, a bigger responsibility to carry each other's burdens and to allow each other to be carried by each other because of what Christ did for us and to carry the burden of relationships outside of the kingdom of God because that is exactly what Jesus did for us. Before we were sinners or while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus carried the burden of our sin to the cross. God, in his glory and in his love, wanted so desperately to have relationship with humanity that he chose to bear the burden of relationship with us by sending Jesus to the cross so that we could once again have fellowship with him. And so every time we decide to bear the burden of relationship with someone who is outside of the kingdom of God, that is an example of us showing the very same grace and mercy that God showed to us through Christ. And there is the chance that they will see Christ in us because we're extending grace. And so all of us, are called to carry those burdens because that's what Jesus did for us. In in bearing with men, humankind, God maintained fellowship with us. And, And that is the law of Christ in action. In Isaiah 53... We read these words in verses 4 and 5. And again, this is a prophecy that refers forward to Christ and what he did for us on the cross. Listen to the verbiage. Yet it was our weakness that he carried. In other words, another word for carry is what? To bear, right? He, He bore our weakness. It is our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was beaten So he was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. You see, Jesus took up the burden of our sin and he carried it to the cross of Calvary before we ever chose to follow him. And in so doing, he established relationship with us and he calls us to do the same thing. What did Jesus say? If you want to follow me, if you want to come after me, then you have to take up your... Yeah, I didn't think anybody was still awake. There's one or two, but... Take up your cross. You're going to carry something. It's going to be a burden. But that's what he commands us to do. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. The carrying of a burden of the master, the person you're following, was assumed in the day of Jesus. And so it is with us. And so Bonhoeffer talks about two specific burdens that we bear uh, for each other. Let me share them with you briefly today. The first burden that we bear is the freedom of others, the freedom of others. The freedom of others is a burden to us because it keeps us from simply stamping our image on them. Um, freedom is something we don't often think about as being a burden, do we? 
But the freedom of other people, believe it or not, constrains us. Have you ever thought about it that way? I mean, you can see it in American society everywhere you look. We're all about freedom. We want everybody to be able to do whatever they want to because, you know, we're all about this freedom thing. But when it comes to the point where somebody else's freedom starts to infringe on ours, we don't like that, do we? We, we don't want their freedom to come that far. We want their freedom to stop. And so in that sense, the freedom of others becomes a burden to us because we have to then let them have the freedom that they've been given by God. So freedom in other people and freedom in the people around us is a burden that we must carry. Now, we could choose to deny them their freedom by manipulating them or constraining them by force or in some other way forcing them to do what we want them to do or to be who we want them to be. Some of us live our whole lives, I think, trying to make the people around us just like ourselves, right? We want everybody to be just like us. But we have this tendency with our friends and our neighbors to try to influence them to become what we want them to be. I see this in marriage all the time. One of the hardest things about marriage is that a lot of people come into a marriage relationship and they think, well, you know, he's kind of rough around the edges now, but when we get married, I'll shape him up, right? Some of you have thought that. I can see it on your faces. I can see it. And so I always ask couples, listen, can you live with him or her exactly as they are now? for the rest of your life. And they look at me like I'm nuts. Well, of course I can, and that's not what they mean. What they mean is, I I've got some ways. I'm gonna fix him, I'm gonna fix her. She's gonna, you know, I'll straighten him out, we'll get it figured out. But, but that's not the intention we need to go into marriage with. Because relationships are best when we allow the freedom of the other person to be a burden for us in the sense that we don't try to stamp the image of ourselves on them. We don't try to change them into who we want them to be. We allow them to become who God intended for them to be. To bear the burden of their freedom means that we allow them to be who the creator created them to be and allow his image to be the only image stamped on them. Their freedom includes all they were created to be. Their nature, their individuality, their talents and abilities, their attitudes, all of those things come together. Their endowments, their weaknesses, their oddities, their failures, everything that produces friction and conflict in the relationships that they have around them. Because, you know, some of our personalities do invite conflict. No amen there. Everybody's like, well, yeah, everybody else's person. No. Listen, the uniqueness that God has given us is what often causes conflict because we've been created to be something and the people around us want us to be something different. But bearing a person's freedom means that we allow them to be. Listen, bearing the burden of their freedom means that we come to terms with all that they are and that we accept it and even affirm it and in bearing with it, we actually learn to appreciate them for who they are and find joy in them being who they were created to be instead of finding some weird sense of satisfaction in turning them into who we want them to be. Listen, every parent on the planet has had to deal with this issue. Amen? Because we as parents, it's a natural thing for us to try to recreate our children in our own image. I mean, some of us are unfortunate enough that our kids look just like us. Thank goodness my kids turned out like mom. 
You know, they're not that bad to look at because they got mom's genes. But, you know, it's kind of natural for us to want them to be what we were. And, and I've noticed I did this to my older three kids, especially, you know, Caleb and Kylie and Josh, you know, we were still newbies back then. We didn't know what we were doing. And I can remember growing up, you know, Caleb was the oldest and he was pretty smart and he was handier with computers and stuff. But, you know, he never wanted to learn. You know, I was a computer geek to the core. I could build them. I could take them apart, put them back together. I could figure out what was wrong with the software and all that good stuff. And at one point I had, a computer in my basement, a fully functioning computer in my basement with every version of DOS and Windows that there had ever been at one point in time in my basement. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. Others of you are going, oh, that's sad, dude. You really need to, you need a, you need a group. You need a 12-step program. But at one point I did, and you know why I did? Because I had games that needed every single one of those software packages to play, and so I kept those old babies. I could do all that, and you know, Caleb, as he's growing up, I'm thinking, man, I'm gonna make a computer geek out of him before he even goes to school. He's gonna know all this stuff, and you know what? He wanted nothing to do with that. Nothing whatsoever to do with it. It was so frustrating to me, and whatever, okay, fine. So he goes away to college, gonna be in engineer, takes a couple engineering classes, decides he's not going to be an engineer. What's he going to be? I'm going to go into computer science. I could have taught you all that stuff for free. And now you're going to college learning it. Listen, he didn't need to be just like me to succeed. He needed to be free to succeed. Josh, same thing, but in sports. You know, Josh, a little bit more of an athlete than Caleb was and always liked playing ball and stuff. And, and Josh, in sixth grade, Josh played football, the first of my kids to play football. And man, it was like awesome. I found out I love watching football when my kids are playing it. It's so much fun. I'd go to practice every day. I was one of those parents that sat at the practice. And technically, everybody was supposed to because they know your kid's probably going to get a black eye or a bloody nose at some point, And they want you right there so they don't have to call you. And so I would go watch every day. It was so much fun. I enjoyed it. And he was really good. He was good at it. Sixth grade, he was really good. He caught a couple passes. He ran the ball for some touchdowns. They got beat most of the time, but he was good. Gets done with the season. I hate football, he says. What? I hate football. I'm like, but you're good at it. It doesn't matter. I just, it's not any fun. I don't like it. So he didn't play the next year. And I'm like, oh. So eighth grade comes around. He's like, you know, dad, I've been thinking I might try football again. I'm like, Really? Yeah, I mean, that'd be okay. And inside I'm going, I mean, this kid's good. He could play on Friday nights. He could be on the varsity. He might even make quarterback because he's smarter than most of the kids out there. Doesn't every parent really think that? I mean, we kind of do. You know, he's a smart kid. He'll be playing quarterback by the time he's a senior. I mean, because that's the whole pinnacle achievement of life, right, is to play quarterback in high school on your football team. That was a joke. You're supposed to laugh at that. There are way more important things in life. But anyway, I'm thinking, this is great. Man, I'll be able to go on Friday nights and watch. And my other kids were in band. And I'm thinking, well, I can watch the band and watch Josh play, and it'll be awesome. So he comes in, and he, he talks to the coach. He says, coach, I want to play. I don't want to play offense. He says, I want to play defense. Instead of being the guy getting hit, I want to be the guy hitting. And I'm like, all right, whatever. You know, and the coach says, all right, we'll do our best. You know, so he puts him as a linebacker or something. And within like three or four days, maybe the first week of practice, the coach comes to him and says, listen, man, I hate to break it to you, but you're one of the smartest kids out here and nobody else can remember the plays. So you're a running back. And he stuck him in running back. And, and you know, so Josh did good. Again, he ran the ball. He caught the ball. He did really well at it. The end of the year comes. Guess what he said? I hate football. <sighs> well, what am I going to watch on Friday nights? Band which is all right, because I like band too. Band was pretty cool. 
But anyway, you know, I, I had this dream for him, and he didn't want anything to do with it. And you know what? He turned out okay, mostly. I'm just kidding, Josh. He probably will watch this later. You see, the idea here is we need to love who God wants them to be and, and bear that as our burden. Bearing the freedom that they have to become who God wants them to be instead of trying to make them who we want them to be. And the hardest part of, of, of this bearing thing is that we have to learn how to honor their freedom and bear that freedom. The second thing that we have to bear in each other, which is even harder, is to bear um, is the abuse of that freedom. The abuse of that freedom. This abuse is what the Bible calls sin. And the sins of others are far more difficult to bear sometimes than the freedoms that, that they're allowed. Sin by its very nature fractures relationships. Sin broke the relationship between God and humankind. And sin fractures the relationships between human beings. Um, as a young person, I read the words in the New Testament, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Now, as a kid who was struggling between Church of God theology and Baptist theology and all these different theologies, I held on to that. And you know what the conclusion I came to was? And I still believe it today. And that is this, that if you truly loved your neighbor as yourself, you would not sin. Because all sin hurts somebody. And I've had people sit in front of me and say, well, this sin doesn't hurt anybody, and that sin doesn't hurt anybody, and this sin doesn't hurt. And what I finally came down to in my own mind and my own thinking was this. Any sin that I commit is going to disappoint my mother, and that would hurt her. Some of you say, well, she's gone now. She can still see me. I don't want to disappoint her. All sin hurts someone, and sin fractures relationships. And so bearing people's failures and bearing the burden of their sin is a difficult thing for us to do. Bearing the burden of another burden of another means bearing with their mistakes and sins and failures and not allowing the relationship to be broken because of those failures, but rather extending grace because that's what God did for us. While we were still sinners, again, he died for us. He extended grace to us even though we were living in our sins. And it is in our ability to bear each other's sins and failures that the grace of God come, becomes known to the world around us even better because when people see us forgiving those that we love, even when they fail, that is not a natural response of human nature. And they see us forgiving and extending grace and, and helping people to go forward. And they see that, and, it, and it's a display of God's grace. It is um, in our ability to do that. God gets the glory. We don't condone their sin. We don't encourage their sin because everything about our mission as followers of Jesus is to become holy as God is holy and to encourage Christ's likeness in everybody that we see. But it does mean that we have patience that we bear the burden of their mistakes by doing what Galatians 6.1 says. We read Galatians 6.2 a little while ago. Galatians 6.1 says this. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, in other words, if they fail, right? If they make a mistake, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Listen. Bearing their mistakes means that we choose not to judge them because we wouldn't want to be judged. 
okay? We choose not to judge, but instead we walk beside them with steadying hands as they carry the burden of their mistakes to the cross where all of us have the opportunity to drop them at the foot of the cross and be the people God called us to be. It's ironic a little bit that Paul was the one who wrote these words because Paul wasn't very good at carrying the burden of other people's failures. At least one time in his life he wasn't. We find the story kind of in the book of Acts in chapter 15, verses 37 through 39. And you got to know a little bit about the history to fully understand what's happening here. You know, Paul used to be called Saul, and, and he was a persecutor of Christians, and God miraculously changed his life, and nobody in the church wanted to have anything to do with him because he was a guy who went around arresting and murdering Christians. And so the whole church was like, mm -mm, you stay at arm's length, we don't trust you. This guy by the name of Barnabas comes along and says, hey, I'll take you under my wing. It's fine. He brought him to the church and said, this guy's okay. You know, he vouched for him, essentially. Uh, how many of you have had to have somebody do that for you in your life every once in a while, right? Paul's there, and, and he's just trying to be a part of what God is doing, and God's called him to do something great, and the church won't have anything to do with him. And Barnabas says, listen, you need to overlook this man's mistakes. You need to overlook his failures and welcome him into the church because God has called him to do something special. And because Barnabas bore the burden of Saul's mistakes... Paul became one of the greatest missionaries that ever lived. And later in Paul's ministry, he and Barnabas were talking about what they should do, and they decided to go back and visit all of the churches they had planted together, and they wanted to go back just to make kind of an encouragement tour to, to lift them up and build them up and encourage them on their way. And, and so we kind of pick up the story there in Acts 15, 37. It says, Barnabas agreed to go on this, this trip with Paul and wanted to take along a guy by the name of John Mark. But Paul disagreed strongly. Since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work, their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus. And I forgot to put the other verse in here. Paul, I believe, took Silas and went on the original tour that he was going to go with. They disagreed so strongly that these two champions of the faith separated and parted ways. Now, interestingly enough, Paul didn't want to take John Mark because John Mark had let him down. And he said, I am not going to bear the burden of your failure going forward. I'm on a mission. We got to get the gospel out there. And if we're going to get the gospel to the world, then I need people I can count on. You ever heard that kind of verbiage in the church? I've said it myself. I don't need people who are going to fail me. I don't need people that need to be you know, brought up. I need somebody who's ready to go and get the job done. And so Paul goes a separate way. Interestingly enough, in 2 Timothy 4.11, we hear the rest of the story. Paul is now kind of not mobile anymore. I believe he wrote this from prison. I didn't check that fact. Some of you may, probably someone will call me about it. But he's basically sitting in a room. He's writing letters to people. He's encouraging them. Listen to what he says. Only Luke is with me. Bring who? Mark. Bring Mark with you when you come, for he will be helpful to me in my ministry. This Mark that he speaks of, we believe, is the very same John Mark that he refused to take on the journey before. So after Barnabas bore the burden of John Mark's failure, John Mark became an asset to Paul in his old age, someone who Paul describes as helpful to me in every way. See, even Paul wasn't very good at this. And how many times in the church have we not been good at this? People cross a line and we just say, you're done. It's over with. 
Get out of our presence. Now again, it's not that we overlook their sin or turn our backs on their sin. It's not that we look the other way. Holding people accountable for what they've done is a part of being in the kingdom of God. That's a part of our responsibility. But the Bible clearly says that if someone sins, we're to do everything in our power to restore them to their faith, not to cast them out. And friends, we're living in an age where churches are becoming so efficient that if you fail once, sometimes you're kind of cast aside. And I know some families where this has happened, where maybe the child or the parent or somebody did something that nobody could get past and suddenly they're cast out. Listen, if you're going to bear the burden of relationship with another person, you have to be willing to bear not only their freedoms, but also the failures, also the abuses of that freedom. And friends, if we could do that, I believe we would find real Christian community. The funny part about all of this is, you know, it's, it's kind of distasteful to think about relationships in this way as a burden, but in the same way that other people are a burden to us, I want you to remember that you're a burden to them, right? In the same way that Pat's failures and his freedom might be a burden to me because I've chosen to have relationship with him, in the same way my freedom and my flaws are going to be a burden to him. So in the very same way that I'm tolerating Aaron or I'm, I'm tolerating some of you, you're tolerating me, you're bearing with me in order to help me become all God desires for me to be. It's a two-way street. It doesn't go one way. In the same way that your freedom, um, uh, you have to bear with their freedom, your freedom comes against them. In the, the same way that, that Pat has to put up with my annoyances is the same way I have to put up with his. Everything comes full circle. Listen, we all want others to bear with us. The real question, I guess, is this. Are we willing to bear with others and to give them the benefit of the doubt? I believe we need to. And that is my prayer. Let me pray with you and then we'll be dismissed. Father, we thank you for allowing us to come together and again, read some wise words by a man who um, seems to always get us thinking in maybe the direction we weren't planning to. Lord, it's just as simple as this. If we're gonna be in relationships, there are responsibilities that are a part of those relationships. And if we wanna be successful in, in joining real Christian community and seeing it grow in this church and in our community, then we have to be willing to bear the burden of other people, both their freedoms and their failures, and understand that in the same way we're bearing them, they're bearing us, and, and we're holding each other up and, and working together with one another. Father, help us to be willing to take the risk to do that very thing. Lord, it's hard for a church to survive if everybody simply comes on Sunday morning but holds people at length, at arm's length during the course of the week. If we choose not to, to hold people in our, our relationships and, and to bear the burdens that they carry and to bear them and relationship with them as a burden. If all they do is come on Sunday morning and there's never any smaller meetings, no small groups, no discipleship, none of that, it's so tough to build the kind of community where this even comes into play. And I pray that you would help us to be a church where people are not only seeking that kind of relationship, but are willing to commit to it and to bear each other up in the name of Christ. Father, we ask that you would lead us and guide us as we try to become that kind of church. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.
You had to know it was coming, but turn to your neighbor and say, bear with me. Just go ahead and do that, and then you can be dismissed. Have a great Labor Day.